0: What's up everybody? It's Tuesday. The Super Bowl is over. This is the, oh no, it's the Brady Grand Football Show! wee, 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 wee. I mean, I gotta tell you that um, those lasers were first, first Super Bowl lasers. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I don't have much energy left, man.
1: Yeah. I, uh, you and I both talked about our traveling back through the old ATL airport. Uh, that was quite a doozy. Uh, and uh, it was an early morning, long day. Uh, And look, the the Super Bowl, it was what it was. I actually didn't mind the game, the way it went. Um, Mm. I thought the Patriots would win. I thought they'd cover. Uh, I didn't think it would be that low scoring, though. That was the biggest shocker about that whole thing to me. But I do think I've got some reasons why it happened, Will.
0: Oh, uh, great. I would, I would love to hear him. And I, I, am, of course, Will Brinson, that is, of course, Brady Quinn. This is the Pick Six podcast. If you're just joining in, um, th- like as we head into the off season, we'll be doing these every single day. When you say that, out- when I say it out loud, like a little part of my soul dies. Not that I don't, I like, I love, I love the podcast. I love doing the podcast, but the realization that something has to happen every day, five days a week, Monday through Friday, um, from now until football season starts is not, I don't know if it's a little daunting. It's just a little like, Huh. Um, is that, is that fair? Is that unfair of me? Should I be? Do You do seven days a week or five, you do five, five days? Five days a week. Oh, okay. So, I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. At least you get weekends off,
1: you know? I mean, it's, it, it's not like you're grinding that hard. It's just a podcast.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is not, it is not that hard. And it leaves me free time to go play horseshoes, um, in, in random downtown bars until 2 a.m. Hypothetically speaking, if that's something that people would do, uh, during Super Bowl week. Um, uh, what, what's that? You're, hypothetically, what? Playing horseshoes at 2 a.m. In, in a downtown bar. <laughs> I,
1: I, hypothetically,
0: yes, yes,
1: and then almost being killed by a horseshoe. Uh, that is something that also right. may happen during Super Bowl week uh, down in a dungeon of sorts of places.
0: Yeah, even though it did have a nice bar. So. It, it did, yeah. yeah. I mean, hypothetically, who hadn't, who amongst us hasn't had their wife almost kill them with a horseshoe at 2 a.m. in a downtown bar? Uh, moving along, let's <laughs> let's talk about the actual game because. Uh, we, John Breach and Ryan Wilson and I recorded a podcast literally after the game from my hotel, from my hotel room at 3am. I, I, mean, I'm sure you can hear it in our voices. I'm, I was like fighting sleep off as we were, as we were sitting there recording. Um, and I do want to take a more of a deep dive with you, Brady, because the schematics of all this, and I've done some radio hits today, uh, or excuse me, some radio hits yesterday on Monday. Um, so I we went back and watched some of the game and I want to finish doing that later. I, what, what do you think? Okay. Here's, I, why? How, did, how was Sean McVay, who admitted after the game that he was outcoached, how was he not prepared for what Bill Belichick brought defensively, which was essentially playing zone when the Patriots were mostly a man team, right?
1: Yeah, uh, I don't know if it's that simplified because there were some variations of things that they did. More in regards to their pass rush, um, I, I thought that was really what we thought was the biggest thing going into this was whether or not and the Rams offensive line could handle the variation of looks that this Patriots defensive front gives you throughout the course of a game. You know, the three-down looks, the four-down looks, the five-down looks, or, you know, even within those three- and four-down looks, the way they move around Van Noy, the way they move around Hightower, and the way they stunt and run games after the snap of the football. So they change that picture for the offensive line. It's a lot to deal with. And it's especially a lot to deal with on a field that felt a lot like a New England Patriots home game. So your communication becomes that much more impacted by it. And let's be honest, it's not so much Sean McVay. Like, this offense didn't execute very well. The offensive line got beat one-on-one. There's no doubt about it. Jared Goff seemed shook at times. Um, it, it was just not a good game all the way around. Brandon Cooks had a number of opportunities to make plays in the football uh, he made some, didn't make the ones that he really needed to. Uh, so at the end of the day, it was a true team loss by the LA Rams. But you got to give credit to the New England Patriots and the game plan because you're right. Even though they play a ton of man to man, the formations and the condensed splits those mo- those usually force teams to play a lot of man to play zone anyway. So they've probably seen a decent amount of that this year, regardless of how much you know man a team plays coming into it because of their style of offense. Uh, I think the thing that stood out to me, why the secondary was able to be so successful versus the Rams was this. When you run a bunch of 11 personnel, Mm -hmm. and that's primarily what they ran, and that's three wide receivers, one tight end, one running back, it allows a defense with whatever unit it is, whether it's nickel, whether it's dime, they now can settle in and say, this is what this wide receiver runs from this position from this split, from this bunch or stack formation, mm. they don't have to worry about teaching those concepts and those schemes to their base defensive personnel, right? Or their big defensive personnel, because all you do is one, one, one personnel grouping. So you can do what's called pattern match. And the new England Patriots were as good as anyone in particular, when they faced the the St. Louis Rams, the greatest show on turf. One of the reasons why I think they were so um, successful in that game was because, you weren't taking Tory Holt and Isaac Bruce and Marshall Falk off the field, right? So even though you had these variations of things you would do, you also had tendencies. And with two weeks to prepare, you better believe the New England Patriots were prepared for every single thing that offense was going to do based on where a guy lined up and what their tendencies were. And, and that's to me what became fairly obvious because it wasn't like there was a ton of free rushers, with the exception of the pressure on the interception by Goff, which was just an awful play on his part. It was typically coverage sacks, like the coverage and the front were hand in hand. And getting pressure on Goff when there really just wasn't anything downfield.
0: Okay. I have a couple of questions here. I'm going to try to remember them. I should have written them down. You mentioned pattern matching. When you say pattern matching, the first name that comes to mind for me and, and maybe anybody is Nick Sabin. Uh, everybody knows, I think, right? Nick Sabin worked for Bill Belichick once upon a time. They're very good friends. Is, was, were the Patriots doing, and, and look, there's, there's a lot of, uh, Look, football jabronis, myself included out there talking about man versus zone. And we're, you know, we're not seeing what, what Jared Goff is seeing. It's a different story when you're actually playing quarterback in your third year. He did, the stats add up. You know, he has 11 interceptions against zone, um, this season versus just one interception against man. That's a pretty significant difference. Were they running, were they kind of running a Nick Saban type of cover three pattern match? What, what was going on back there that Jared Goff was seeing? And is it a situation where in the infancy of his career, you know, he's not really capable of reading an entire field uh, with, with the speed required relative to what the, the Patriots were doing? Was that, was that the main issue? Well, the
1: main issue, uh, I'd say, is I, I do feel like the speed of the game seemed too fast Yeah, Like, he was always just a little bit late. Like, their longest game was a completion of Robert Woods on the sidelines that was honestly incomplete. Yeah, unfortunate for the Rams, they rushed up, got a playoff. Um, and, and it, and so it ended up being complete in the, in the books. But when you go back and look at it on tape, uh, it, it should have been incomplete. So the officials missed that call to the, to the benefit of the Rams. Um, but pattern matching is this pattern matching is like saying, well, if, if Brandon cooks takes a split where all of a sudden he's six yards outside, uh, the ghost tight end, he can only run one of a few things, or he's limited in kind of what he's going to do, right? He's not just going to run straight down the field. We, we can eliminate that. He's yeah. most likely, if he's going to run some sort of deeper route or intermediate route, it's going to be outbreaking because he's at a condensed split. If he wants to run an in-route, he has to widen his release on the snap of the football and then get vertical to then come inside, and he's usually not going to be the first read in that case. And another thing he can do, he can run a shallow crossing route. So you're kind of limited in what you can do based on a condensed split. What it allows you to do, though, is – not be in press man-to-man coverage because of how close you are to all the other traffic a lot of defensive backs or cornerbacks in particular will have to play off so they can they can run through some of the traffic in order to still cover that player so there's give and take to what you do so when i say pattern match i mean they're looking at a lot of their single man two man and three man route combinations and they're saying based on how they're lining up in this bunch in this stack or on the in these condensed splits depending on the formation this is what these guys are going to run, and and so that's more what pattern matching is. They played different variations of zone, I, the majority of which I saw were more post high, uh, mostly because they wanted the extra defender down around the box right. uh, to try to stop the run. So there was a fair amount of that, but but when I say pattern matching, that's more what I'm meaning. Just having a tendency and being able to jump some of the routes or react to some of the routes they're running. Faster because of the preparation leading up to the game,
0: right? And and again, like we talked about it all week long, no one in their right mind. Everyone loves Sean McVay. He's great at he's great at uh, he's a great young offensive mind. You know, great smart offensive coach. He got a lot of people hired. No one is going to try and tell you that he has a, a schematic advantage with two weeks of preparation over Bill Belichick, and that became uh, pretty clear. I, it did, did matter all right, on the McVay thing, though. Why how did McVay why did McVay realize this? I thought that they I thought that they might change up their personnel, maybe go with two tight ends more often, maybe um you know, try and run they out of his. They they yeah.
1: they actually did. When you looked at it in the second half when they started to move the football and have a little bit more success. I mean heck, in the first half, not only were they goose egg, they were outgained yeah, by Julian Edelman in receiving yards.
0: But to, I mean I guess I meant I was surprised that Sean McVay came into the game saying, we are going to try and do exactly what we have always done because he was up against Bill Belichick. Like I would, I thought he was going to throw a curveball out earlier or or maybe come a little bit aggressive and go in a different direction and then settle back into the 11 personnel stuff. I I get that he worked, did, you know, did the two tight end stuff at the second half, but like it was a little surprising that he just said, we're going to be us in the first half, right?
1: Well, you got to be you. That's why you got you there. (laughs) I mean, you, you can't all of a sudden start changing up your game plan. I mean, let's be honest. They don't have 21 personnel, right. something that new England runs, a, runs a lot with, with James Devlin. They really don't have the ability then to go in 22 personnel. They're two tight ends, two running backs, one wide receiver. Right. Yeah. So they're limited in what they can do based on their roster, and based on what they have. So you're not going to go into the game and say, Hey, it's bill Belichick. We got a, is there a fullback out there? We can add on the <laughs> team or, or we've got to change up what we're going to do. Um, I, I think they're going to try to run what they think is going to be effective versus the new England Patriots. And to be quite honest, in the beginning of the game, you're just trying to figure out what the New England Patriots are going to do and, and, then, and how you can settle in and make those adjustments. So that's the difficulty for any team going against New England is, you know, they've got their 10 to 15 plays that are starters, and they're running them, and they're saying, okay, this is how they're playing this personnel grouping in this formation. This is how they play this formation. This is, this is what they do when we motion, or this is what, we, what they do when we shift. And the difficulty is the next time you come back out, you think you're going to get that, that same coverage, that same front. And it's different, or it might be a different personnel group that they put in on defense. Last time they played nickel, this time they're playing dime. So all those things, you know, are, are just Bill Belichick's genius of staying ahead. And we used to call that when we play, he, he's a rolodex uh, coordinator, meaning you're not going to get the same thing again. He's going to keep rotating through every single time to give you different looks. So in third and, and six plus, and really that was one of the biggest differences in the game. I think at one point Jared Goff was like oh for seven or 0 for eight. On third down with a sack, and they just couldn't. They could not stay on the field. They couldn't move the sticks, and a lot of it had to do with the variations in coverage that they were showing them all the time. Um, Whether it was three with the strong safety rotating down, three weak with the weak safety rotating down, uh, a version of quarters, a version. I mean, they played a little bit, literally about everything that you could. They played doubled cover coverage at time, which some people call cover seven, where they looked to double a couple different guys. Um, and so it, it kind of to some guys looks like man, but in other ways they're, they're thinking, all right, is the manners a more of a match zone. Um, they do as good of a job of anyone at disguising the way in which they're playing coverage uh, and then and putting more pressure on the quarterback. So um, it, it wasn't that so much that Sean McVay was necessarily fooled. I just think it was Bill Belichick always being one step ahead. And again, it helps when your guys win the battle at the line of scrimmage. Yep. I mean, go across the entire Rams offensive line. They did not play well, uh, but when they, when they did go 12 personnel, they did start to have more success in the second half. Another thing I saw was in 11 personnel, they put Everett in more at tight end instead of Higby, and they started to have a little bit more success, too, with that matchup, Everett with a little more speed than Higby uh, playing the tight end position.
0: Mm. Now, did you end up we – we don't need to get into why you were watching it. Did you end up watching – where did you end up watching the game? Because I, I offered my seat to you. you. You saw my seat where I was sitting – and you said, no, thanks. And then you pointed at somebody in the press box. You said, hey, Tommy, give me a, a sweet. And then you just disappeared into some place with like grapes and cheese, right?
1: Right. I, I was like, <laughs> hey, Tommy boy,
0: get over here.
1: Uh, no, so obviously uh, there's some benefits to having multiple employers. And one thing I really, really appreciate about XM is just how organized they are. Uh, and yeah. uh, how my guys like Steve Cohen and Nick Pavlados have all their stuff together. So uh, I knew if what I thought was going to happen at the Super Bowl was indeed going to happen, that I could talk to my guys at SiriusXM NFL Radio and they could help me out. So Bob Papa, who's a good friend, he does a tremendous job doing play by play. Him and Charles Davis, who's as smooth of a listen as you'll get, um, they were doing the world broadcast. So I got to kind of sit in their booth and, and basically not only listen to their call, uh, but also watch the game from, from their, uh, from their booth.
0: That's a good spot to be in. And, and I would assume that that's a pretty good view and you can kind of see the defenses unfolding and all that. Of course you're former quarterback, so that, that probably helps too. And a knowledgeable NFL. Yeah. I got, you know, you come, you know, call a lot of games, see a lot of football. Have you watched the game again since the, since the, since you...
1: I, I haven't had a chance to watch it again. Uh, was obviously busy traveling no, back to no, no, no. the valet at our,
0: I I, yeah. I didn't know I didn't I didn't think you would have had time I was just, I just didn't know if it was like a you got up and like did a hundred push ups and then you know watched a, watched a, watched a football game again or something like that No no
1: Like me we were, that's what uh, I did It was I like dude, it, was like, it was like dude Where's my car Right So right. I, I was literally wandering Atlanta this morning at five a.m. because the valley somehow moved or misplaced my rental car uh, So I was dealing with that for a good portion of the morning. And then just trying to figure out if I can make it uh, to my flight on time, which didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if you heard the security at Atlanta was uh, maybe the longest line people have ever seen. So that, that just basically ended up to my whole entire day. I, I missed radio. I missed everything. So the whole entire day kind of got thrown off.
0: You didn't. I, the... I did
1: intend on watching it today, though.
0: No, no, no. I, I, I wasn't criticizing you for not watching it. Just super so clear. But you did end up. Recording a podcast, even though you did all that travel, that's that's true dedication to this Pick 6 podcast. That's true. That's um, true. <laughs> crap, I had a question I was going to ask you, but instead, we're going to take a very quick break. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. We mentioned the Rams' personnel and all that stuff. Uh, d- does the does the does the outcome of this game ding your perception at all of uh, Sean McVay or Jared Goff?
1: Of uh, Jared Goff, yeah, because wow. the common denominator of, over the course of his time with the Rams is when he's had good protection, he's been good. When he hasn't, he's been really bad, and that's the only thing you can really say. Um, when you go back and kind of look through the course of his career, his rookie year didn't have protection at all. It was bad the, the times in which he struggled last year, same thing. I mean, look, he's got a lot of things at his disposal. He's got a good offensive line. He's got Todd Green in the backfield, which uh, that's a whole nother conversation. And he's got a, a bright offensive line um, and, and a bunch of different guys to throw to. So it, you can't fall into a better situation as a quarterback and for him not to be able to just make more plays it's a bit surprising. Like, I know it sounds critical, but look, the Rams are in a position where they, he's going to his fourth year next year. And they've got to decide if they're going to pick up his fifth year option. Yep. And like this, this one could, this one could drag out a little bit. People might say, I'm nuts. in saying that. I just think enough people around the league, look at Sean McVay and they look at that roster. They look at that team and they're like, ah, maybe a lot of other guys could put up those sorts of numbers and do that sort of thing. If they were in his position too.
0: Well, and let's not forget that the Rams predicated this whole all-in situation with 2018 by having a rookie quarter, or by having a quarterback on his rookie, his rookie deal. Jared Goff was a first overall pick, so it is, a, it's a still an expensive deal, but relative to, you know, a, a massive second contract, it's not insane. And they were able to, you know, sign Brandon Cook, sign Todd Gurley, sign Aaron Donald. Trade for uh, Keith Toledo, trade for Marcus Peters, trade for Cooks, who they later signed. And they did all these things. I don't, I don't know you can necessarily, I don't know that you necessarily have the freedom with this big a contract, even though the salary cap is high. Is there any chance that they would consider trading Jared Goff and drafting a different quarterback?
1: Uh, I don't know. I mean, that, that would be a big one to me. I, I don't know if you want to go that route. You've invested a lot of time in Jim. So I, I think you might want to give it an, another year, you know, before um, you look at how you're going to you handle everything. Um, I mean, look, I think they'll pick up his fifth-year option. I think it's too big of a risk not to uh, just say, yeah, we're going to push and try to let him go into free agency. Uh, you know, Or because what happens if they do find themselves in the Super Bowl next year and then they win it and he plays great, right? right? right. Now you look like a clown show. So <laughs> uh, they're going to pick up the option. Um, it's just, you know, it, it's a big year for him. I think ultimately in regards to what the Rams could potentially offer him, uh, as far as a long-term contract, looking at that second deal uh, based on how he played in this game. So, yeah, I, I think I came away with the impression of this. From all the assistants that came from New England that I played for as a player, they did a good job at simplifying what a guy's good at and what he's not at. And I can guarantee you from watching Jared Goff and film, and I, I said this on the set, if you get pressure on him, he's a different quarterback, he's a different player. You can make that case for a lot of guys, sure, but there certain players play doesn't diminish quite as much as Jared Goff's does, and and that's that's what I saw in film. Pete and I talked about it during the week a lot. Uh, that look, Jared Goff's floor is a lot lower than Tom Brady's is going to be in that game, and I would say Tom Brady's floor is a lot closer to Jared Goff's ceiling. Um, mm. and, and so because of that, you know, you just didn't know what you're going to get. And and I think early on, he seemed a bit shook. He, he you know, and that's expected but he just can never really get any composure throughout the course of the game. And that's ultimately what hurt him.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, they, they got a ton of pressure on him. You saw it from the get go. And for whatever reason, the, the, the referees were not inclined to sling around flags. I know there's some questionable, you know um uh, Nicole Roby Coleman had that like two week old makeup call that that was that was thrown on him um, and the Rams ultimately ended up with nine penalties for 65 yards Patriots only three for 20 but it didn't feel like with either quarterback that the refs were interested in protecting those quarterbacks that that if you wanted to get a if you wanted to push the line on on getting on getting a shot on Tom Brady or Jared Goff you could do it and both guys really got banged up pretty bad and i think Brady for as much as there is a huge age difference, you know, he's dealt with this so much more and, and on the stage so much more that it, that it was probably easier to overcome. But let's be honest, Tom Brady wasn't good either.
1: No, um, I would say this is probably one of his more underwhelming performances. Um, there was times where he, where he seemed frazzled. Uh, I mean, look, the, the first interception was shocking to me.
0: Yeah, I terrible. mean, not only
1: was he late getting his body over to address that throw if you wanted to make it, um, but it was just a poor ball. You know, he's as good as anyone at putting a football in a spot where his wide receiver gets it or no one does. And that was an instance where I was like, first off, it's Chris Hogan. I mean, and again, no disrespect to Chris Hogan, but, you know, that's not a guy I'm trying to force a ball into. Gronk, Edelman, I get it. Anyone else doesn't make as much sense. So um, that was surprising. And then just, you know, really a couple of the throws he made where he was kind of pulling them into the ground, throwing them low, I mean – I guess better be safe than, than sorry, but there was one screen in particular that James White, and there was pressure from the Rams. They had a scene, and he just yanked it at his feet. And there's really no other explanation. I mean, I got the sense that maybe he felt like they sniffed it out, but I think if he gets that ball to White, that could have been a huge play. And really, that series in particular I'm talking about, it, they sought the clock on a number of those incompletions and gave the Rams the ball back and could have eaten up the clock back when they they had that lead. So uh, it it wasn't his best game. However, it didn't need to be because of how good the defense played. And and let's be honest, the final drive, the way Josh McDaniel settled in, they, they basically sat in 21 personnel. They ran the football until they got in plus territory. And then they basically spread them out and went empty. And what that does is, much like I talked about the Rams being predictable with their 11 personnel, and allowing the, the New England Patriots defense to pattern match. The, the New England Patriots being in 21 personnel and putting Devlin all the way on the outside, that gave them a man zone indicator. So if it's man, you're looking at which guy do I think is going to win at that matchup. If it's zone, now you're really looking at the inside and you're saying, where's Edelman? Where's Gronk? Who are they matched up against on the inside since you've got your cornerbacks on the outside and your safeties uh, and, and linebackers on the inside? And you saw a completion to Edelman, who got yards after the catch for a big gain. You then saw a completion to Burkhead. And these are all basically the same concepts, all out of their empty formation. And then finally, the big completion to Gronk. Again, same play. Uh, They just changed the formation a little bit. Uh, But it was was pretty phenomenal to look at the job that, again, the Patriots did, making adjustments. And then Tom Brady just making clutch throws in that drive. To go, go put them in a position to score a touchdown.
0: Yeah, really. I actually, as you were saying that, I just happened to see a next gen stats. Uh, tweet pop up on my timeline and it's like, how did the Patriots offense break tendency on their TD drive? They used two running backs on all five plays, shifting into empty and running the same play three consecutive times. And Tom Brady on those, uh, on those plays against a Rams base defense, four of four for 67 yards. That to me, maybe like that as well as, you know, what Belichick was doing and that the way the defensive line got pressure. It, it just, the, the Patriots have, the, the Patriots knew they're in this grind, like in this meat grinder game, and they understood. All right, like our defense can stop these guys, and we just need to get. It just reminds me of two thousand, the two thousand one season, and the two thousand two Super Bowl so much. It's like, hey, look, we got to just just keep going, punch for punch with these guys on defense, and then we're going to hand the ball to Tom and let Josh cook something up. Obviously, Josh went there in two thousand one as the OC, but you know, let let Tom lead a big drive for a touchdown. It, it was just quintessential Patriots like that, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I, I had Charlie Weiss when, when he was there, yeah. and it, you know, it's funny. The league is going in more of a three-wide receiver set spread formation, right? So what do the New England Patriots do? Uh, when everyone's going one way, they go to the yeah. other. Yeah. And so they play more 12, they play more 21, more base personnel. They play more 22 personnel uh, with those two tight ends, two running back sets. So they seem to do things differently than everyone else is doing them. And I think it's tough for defenses to stop because they very rarely see that mm-hmm. um, from their opponents, and then they very rarely see it from their own team. I mean, think about in practice in the offseason where you're going up against your ones. If you're Sean McVay, you're mostly running eleven personnel. You know, your defense isn't going to be as prepared for when they see two tight ends, two running backs, right? And you're playing smash mouth football. Same thing in their base personnel, or when they split out. You know, with, with your base personnel, if you don't have a fullback, right? your linebackers and safeties aren't prepared for the ISO blocks, the, the back-on-backer blocks, or the Bob plays like we talk about. Um, so there's all those additional things that you obviously don't get a lot of practice at, and you don't see a whole lot. Either A, if your opponents don't do it since the league's not moving that in that direction, or B, you don't have it on your roster. So there's no way to mimic that or get a true sense of how it's actually going to work out. Um, I think those are things that always kind of go uh, unnoticed sometimes these matchups.
0: Yeah, it's sort of like when um... – you know, uh, like if a team has to play Georgia Tech, or or you know, when they had Paul Johnson running the option, or like or, or Army, Navy, whoever it is, on you know, on you don't have a buy before you haven't seen, you haven't played an option team yet that year. I mean, it, it's just hard to prepare for something you don't see very often, and and uh, that was certainly the case. Do you think do you think the Patriots should pay Rob Gronkowski what he is owed on the final year of his contract, or should they save eight million dollars and cut him loose? Or, or it's also possible. I would not. It's also possible we could retire. I would not cut him. Ooh. I would not cut him. I mean, look, he might retire anyway. Um,
1: that's something he talked about and discussed. And the bottom line is, you know, two weeks from now, his body is going to feel better than it does now.
0: Sure. Right? He was
1: limping around a little bit after the game. You know, Pete and I saw him on the field. He it looked like he had a thigh contusion uh, from a hit he took early in the game. But up until that point, he was moving around well. So, I mean, typically you take a few days to decompress all of a sudden your body starts feeling better. You know, even a month from now, you start being like, man, I kind of miss my buddies. I miss, I miss football. I, I want that feeling again. Cause I can tell you this much. I never played the Super Bowl, but being able to be down there in the field to sit back, take it all in knowing some of those guys, you know, talking to a guy like Kevin Euclid, for example, <laughs> uh, who won a world series with the Boston Red Sox, who was down there with Tom Brady's family and just, you know, sitting back and talking to, to him about his championship uh, or championships and and, and talking to, um, you know, other players down there and, and coaches on their staff about it. I mean, it, it's something that it drives you to want to do it all over again. Now, it's a grind, and especially in New England. But at the end of the day, man, uh, once, once he starts feeling better, I, I think he's going to come back for an additional year because I don't know why you'd want to try to miss out on an opportunity to be with Tom Brady and try to do this again as long as he's still playing.
0: Yeah, and look, the the reality is the Patriots are going to have a chance to do it because while uh, the, well, the Josh Allen might be great, Sam Darnold might be great, I don't think we're there yet with either of the Bills or the Jets. Uh, the Dolphins look like they are. In full-blown rebuild mode, and you know, they just took a guy that Bill Belichick has uh, intimate knowledge of, and Brian Flores, great defensive game plan by him too, you know, calling this whatever, you know, whatever, whether he's calling the plays or helping design it with Bill Belichick, whatever it is, he did a great job. Um, and, uh, I mean, you got, you got a shot for seven, right? To top, to top Michael Jordan. Like that's how far Tom Brady has gone. <laughs> he's, he's no longer worried about being the greatest football player of all time. He's now worried about trying to top you know, to become the greatest athlete of all time, and I think he's got a viable case given the sport and all the things that are around him. And you see that video that he and Gronk post on Instagram, and I know it's you know right after the game, they they're winning and they're happy and all that. But it's not hard to imagine Gronk being back next year, and Brady saying, "Look, dude, let's go for a let's go for one more ride," and say, "Hey, Bill, I know it's I know you can save something on the salary cap, but we'll just put put this guy in the garage until the playoffs, and then cut him loose, and we we win three games with Gronk, and we win the Super Bowl. I mean, it's not it's not that complicated, right?" No, it's not. But I, I think the
1: thing about Bill Belichick is he's never made exceptions for players on his roster, right. and that was probably the scuttlebutt that those two got into in the past, where he doesn't want to treat Tom Brady different than any other any other guy on the team. In fact, he probably wants to be as hard on him as anyone else.
0: Sure. And, and
1: because if you if you can do that to the quarterback, if you can do that to Tom Brady, then you better believe everyone else is going to fall in line. So uh, when you start making uh, exceptions for guys like Gronk, guys like Tom Brady. it it changes how guys respond in the locker room because everyone looks at each other as equals. I mean, especially, um, you know, again, even though it is Tom Brady, when he's going out there every day in practice, when he's going out there and, and, you know, doing everything he can and working his tail off, everyone else is motivated by it. Right. I mean, it's inspirational at this point because what else does he have to prove? Nothing. Yeah. I mean, in my opinion, he's already, what he's accomplished is already better than what uh, Michael Jordan did in my opinion. I mean, you can talk about the six titles, but it's also about the fact that he's made it to however many Super Bowls, and he's done it over a period of time in which it's hard to be able to talk about who could even come close to that. So, uh, again, for me, different story. This is, he is the greatest of all time. He has nothing else to prove, Uh, but it it would just be another feather in his cap where there really wouldn't be any argument. Like, much like I said, this past Super Bowl, for all those people who wouldn't say, well, he's arguably the greatest of all time. No, 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 no. There is no argument now. It's just <laughs> Tom Brady, the greatest of all time to go. There is the people who wanted to try to make that argument. They they're saying uncle. They don't want it anymore. Like they're hoping he doesn't go to another Super Bowl and win seven. Like that's the point we're getting to. Is it's it's just painful for them to watch.
0: Yeah, like uh, Joe Montana is incredible. Even Joe Montana should be willing to admit now that Tom. I mean, like Tom Brady was already the goat anyway. But I mean, like now it's like it's, it's not even close. Um, Also, this is a little bit more debatable, or maybe less debatable, depending on how you, how you feel about it. Is Julian Edelman a potential Hall of Famer? I think, did we, I don't know if we talked about this before the Super Bowl. I know we probably talked about it leading up to the Super Bowl. I am of the opinion that it would be insane to put someone in the Hall of Fame based solely on postseason success and statistics. Julian Edelman's really impressive with what he's done in the postseason, but his regular season numbers are certainly not Hall of Fame. Do you agree or disagree?
1: Uh well the, the weird thing is we're having this conversation it's like is he done like they yeah. he us talking about retiring
0: so that's kind of
1: like the it's weird true. thing um and, and I think that another guy you might want to throw into that category that just got into the Hall of Fame was Ty Law I mean mm. look Ty Law played for a long time but if you if you just looked at his stats and you said all right he was a two time All Pro uh no no three time Super Bowl champ uh, I think it was the MVP too in one of those Super Bowls if I'm not mistaken um. You know, and and, I mean, he's probably not going to make it in as a a two-time All-Pro. I know he's a five-time Pro Bowler, but uh, I just that—that's kind of how I feel. Like, and and again, no disrespect to Ty Law. It's just the bottom line is when you look at um, you know his career, he had a couple really, really good seasons where he had just a ridiculous amount of interceptions, like early in his career and then kind of late. But outside of that, there were just kind of more average years. Um, So he was a guy to me that. When I saw that he got in, I was like, okay, uh, kind, of, kind of interesting. But I do think his postseason success had a lot to do with people being like, well, you know what, though? He played really, really clutch in the postseason to help you know, that team win some Super Bowls. Like, legitimately played an impact. I mean, Julian Edelman's starting to build a case for that. And I think yeah. the more he continues to play and, and then adds on to his stats and adds on to his career, uh, I, I think he's definitely going to have a case.
0: So he would need, uh, let's see, I think he averages like seven catches per postseason game. And he would need like six, he would, six more games in the playoffs. So if he can get two more years out of Tom Brady, two, and two more Super Bowl runs or even three years and you know, maybe two conference championship runs, which is not implausible, I don't think, uh, he could break Jerry Rice's record for receptions in the playoffs. And that would, uh, yeah. that would, That would go a pretty long way towards, uh, like, I I feel like if that happened, people might not be willing to keep him out, right? Yeah, I think it'd be tough. Um, But, again, you're talking about, that's,
1: what, two or three more seasons, depending on how many games. Um, Let's say two if we're saying the Patriots and they're going to Super Bowls. So, now that's very likely. So, let's say they go to two more, and that is the case. I mean, not only is it, you know, those receptions you're talking about, but it's also – looking at their success. Like, does he have another Super Bowl? Maybe he wins another MVP. I mean, I just think you continue to keep building on more and more a case. Um, and, and so numbers are one thing, but you'd be hard-pressed to find a guy that doesn't demand more respect from defenses and, and defensive backs than Julian Edelman, you know, and just with the way he plays, the position that they put him in.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, what he did at the Super Bowl was – Pretty friggin' incredible in terms of route running and, and moving all over the place, and and just I mean like he, Wade Phillips put a keep to leave on him, and that was a horrible mismatch. Uh, at one point, you know they had a linebacker on him, and that's not going to work out, even if it's a fast linebacker like Corey Littleton. Um, you know it's yeah, I mean it's just a he's a great receiver. Uh, who do you think who would be if you had to pick somebody right now to win the Super Bowl? Or what do you think about Kansas City being the favorite to win the Super Bowl uh, next season? What
1: an overreaction to the way that game went. You know, it, it, it's interesting how that all worked out because um, it, I just, I look at, I look at the way that went. And I think to myself, this is a great defensive game. You know, both offenses had their moments, but they really struggled and that's okay. And, and I think everyone's looking at it. She's saying that's an offense that didn't struggle this year, really in any game. And if they win the coin toss, they're probably representing the AFC, not the new England Patriots, but they didn't win the coin toss. So it was new England and the rest of history. Um, I think that's probably the general consensus of that team. And I also think people are looking at Steve Spagnola coming in and, and then being able to, you know, make some adjustments on defense and saying that they think that they'll be able to find a way to win. I just, I think the difference is they might not have home field advantage, right? Like if, if I was betting on a division to be better next year, the AFC East or the AFC West, I think the AFC West is probably going to be more competitive. So uh, for that reason, I, I kind of feel like it's hard to pick against the New England Patriots, only because of their history and the track record. Unless something drastically changes.
0: Yeah, i I I'm I'm with you. I mean, the Patriots are really good. Somebody will rise up and, and make it make a stink there. Maybe it'll be the Saints or the the Chiefs. I mean, there, there's still lots of plenty of teams, plenty of teams out there who can uh, who will who will have problems. If I were if I were betting on it, I was looking at. It. I mean, I think the Colts have some pretty good odds. I don't know that the Colts are going to magically win the Super Bowl all of a sudden, but I think they can make improvements this off season. And so, um, yeah, you know, like I'm looking for somebody like 20 to one. I don't want to be sub 10 to one. If I'm making those, uh, those bets, anything surprised you about this season? When, uh, when, when you, when you look back on what happened I, in 2018,
1: I just, I think it was, you know, looking back now, hilarious, the way the hype around the Oakland Raiders and John Gruden and, <laughs> Just the, that whole deal. And then the way it went. I mean, people thinking that like John Gruden was going to take them back to the promised land and, and just the trading away Cleo Mack and trading away Amari Cooper. I mean, I just, the whole thing blew my mind. Uh, how he handled it, how the team was run, firing Reggie McKenzie. Now they're going to, it looks like they're going to be playing in the San Francisco 49ers stadium. Uh, excuse me. Giant stadium in, in 2019 before they head to Vegas. I, uh, I just, I don't know. That, that That's an organization that I, I'm excited for them to get to Las Vegas so they can get settled down and settled in and actually be a good football team because they weren't this year, but it also seemed like that was by design.
0: Mm, yeah, we'll see if they're good next year. I don't think that's necessarily going to happen. Um, I that didn't surprise me because I had the Raiders uh, being terrible. I'm trying to think if there somebody that really shocked me about this year. I don't, I don't know that, I don't, I, I had a pretty good read on, like, and this isn't always, I mean, this is just a random year where I actually had a good read on it, so nothing really stunned me about this season. Um I'm trying to think if there's somebody I just completely whiffed on. I, I don't, I can't, I don't think I whiffed on anybody. I, yeah, I, maybe I just had a perfect season. Well, I,
1: maybe. I didn't necessarily whiff on anyone. I was shocked by the Minnesota Vikings.
0: Uh, yeah, not that's making good, the playoffs. Yeah, The Packers stinking. Packers and Vikings. Yeah, I had that. I had that division wrong, and then actually, I, I completely whipped on the Cowboys. I did. I had the Cowboys way wrong. So I that that surprised me that the Cowboys were good. Although now they're not going to give Jason yeah. Garrett an extension. What's up with that? You know, he had done this before though, and he
1: coached for his job. He went twelve before four that year. So I, I'm not I'm not necessarily against it. I mean, bottom line is, I think Jason Garrett and Jerry Jones have a close enough relationship where you know he ain't trying to go anywhere. I mean, honestly, like. Like, where are you you trying to take that? You're going to try to go be head coach somewhere else in the most expensive franchise in the NFL. Um, I think Jerry has all the leverage there in that case. He knows it. Um, And he wants Jason Garrett to to understand the message. Like, it's put up or shut up time. Either you get us into the playoffs and and get us, you know, get us going a little bit more than just one win. Um, And Mm. and, or otherwise, you know, it's time to move on. So uh, it's going to be a big year for them. And I'll be curious to see what additions or subtractions they make, but you know the, the whole thing with him not getting an extension isn't surprising.
0: No, I mean, but it, it is weird how there was all, it was all—it was like the buzz was like Jared Garrett's going to get an extension; and he's going to get paid. Jerry loves him. They won the division, and then all of a sudden, you lose that playoff game to the Rams, and it's like, ah, eh, maybe we'll just see how this this uh, this old contract plays out. Um, Will you? Are you excited about your debut? Are you broadcasting the AAFL or the AFL? <laughs> no, what? 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 Someone else
1: asked me, I'm like, why did people think I would be broadcasting the AFL?
0: Because you, you know, it's on CBS Sports, you work for CBS Sports, maybe they thought you, you know, you're, I work for their digital platform.
1: I, I call games, I have, uh, Fox has exclusive rights to me, uh, as far as tele- televised games, in why did so why didn't, not, why didn't why didn't yeah, we? I'm not able
0: why, to. Why didn't we buy you out? Why didn't we buy your? We should we purchased your uh, your soul and use it. To, it's stuffed in the
1: AFL. That's a whole another conversation. Right. So I, I'm not. I, I really don't know what to say to that. Well, so, uh,
0: well, I'll I, tell you. I, you I'll know, tell. You, so. I'll I'll say something. We should buy. We should buy every bit of Brady Quinn stock. Pay whatever it costs. That's what I say. And then you, in turn. <laughs> Say give Will Brinson a giant raise. That's what you say. Um Okay,
1: okay. Well yeah. I think with the way you were able to somehow, somehow, some way get us some seats in the press box, which seemed bleak in the final hour, uh, <laughs> you deserve a lot of credit for that, my friend. Thank you. Not Thank you. enough yeah, not enough that people can appreciate what you did. Um, it was kind of like Fire Festival, I think, the Netflix documentary. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, it was. I'll, I'll leave it at that. There was a lot of sacrifices being made. I didn't get that idea.
0: Being... Hey, that water was getting across the border, pal. I don't know how, but it was getting yeah. <laughs> 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 You know, we got done. We got done covering the Super Bowl. We get down to uh the Moxie, which is our, our hotel bar, and Prisco's down there. And Jamie Eisenberg looks at uh, – our colleague Jamie looks at uh, Eric K., our boss. He's like – yeah, Brinson, Brinson picked, you know, saved it. And Pete's like, did he really? Prisco's like, eh, I don't know. I mean, like, who, I mean, I could have done that. It's not that big a deal. It's like, all right, there, there you go, Pete.
1: There you go. You, uh, you. Oh, no, no, there's no doubt in my mind. Pete Prisca would have done exactly, exactly, probably more than what you did in order to make it happen. Yeah. Right. Right,
0: right, right. Pete would have managed to text with 17, text and phone call with 17 different people at once, coordinate with the RFID, uh, NFL people, coordinate with NFL PR, coordinate with CBS PR, and do all of that in the span of two hours in order to secure us, uh, press box credentials. I'm, I'm sure that, that seems like something Pete would totally do. I will give Pete credit though. He did a, he was, he, I mean, he probably was at, talked for at least like three or four hours all week long on HQ, right? I mean, he did, uh, we did, we did pretty good work (laughs) in, uh, in Fort Lauderdale. Well,
1: that's kind of his thing though. He just doesn't stop talking.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I can't believe they're making me get up there and talk. It's like, you. You just talk. That's what you do. Um, all right. We'll get out of here. We'll get out of here on this. What do you – what did you think about the uh, official hirings? We knew they were more than like – we knew they were happening. Um, but, we you know, we had to worry about the Josh McDaniel-style situation. What did you think about Zach Taylor to the Bengals? They announced it on Monday after the Super Bowl when the Rams lost. And Brian Flores to the Dolphins announced after the Patriots won.
1: First-time head coaches for both sides. I always preach patience um, – I'm excited to see what Brian Flores is going to bring to Miami. But here's the thing that I know. I think Chris Greer uh is within the front office now. He's really the the head guy. He wants to create that New England model in Miami. Hmm. Really hard to do. Yeah. Okay? Like really hard to do. For starters, you don't have Tom Brady. I already report they're gonna cut Ryan Tannehill. So good luck finding the next Tom Brady. <laughs> the next thing is is it's hard to mimic their culture uh because <laughs> You you have guys like Chris who you know, one maybe they're as good as Bill Belichick at identifying talent maybe not either way uh, you end up finding yourself in positions where you just you make bad personnel decisions either you don't value certain things like characteristic and understand how you can put certain guys in position to make plays um, or you know you, you pay a guy and you know and you don't realize how it's going to change a guy so. There's a lot of different reasons why no one can mimic what Bill Belichick has been able to do. Those are just a couple, uh, but I think that's what they're looking to do with Brian Flores, and, and they're looking to improve their defense in sort order of to help out, uh, you know, about, whatever kind of offense that they have.
0: Yeah, and I would I would add too that I think that this sort of goes under the radar a little bit because of their consistency and because of the quarterback and um, and because of the coach. Robert Kraft is a really good owner, and the Krafts do a really good job of staying out of the way and letting the football guys do football things and giving them unlimited oh, yeah. resources. And, look, it's easy to do when, you, when you're when you on this role and you have Belichick and Brady. Um, but, you know, I mean, like Kraft, I mean, ownership matters in, in professional football in, in a big way. It's huge. Like, that's the
1: first thing I noticed when I got traded from Cleveland to Denver. It's no disrespect to Cleveland.
0: Hmm.
1: But Pat Bowen was a fantastic owner. The expectation of that organization given its rich history, uh, you could sense all the way down to the equipment guys or the trainer Greek who's been there forever. Um, it's like every single person there, you could just sense that sort of excellence, everything that they they stood for, and, and it comes top down. And I, it was the same way when I got to Seattle. Um, it was it was kind of, you know, it, it was hit and miss with how things were in St. Louis because you could feel like Stan Cronk, you knew he was eventually going to try to move on. New York was a whole different story with the Jets. Um, and then Kansas City was kind of interesting. I think mean, that was kind of a team, uh, and really the ownership structure at that point was different than what it is now. I think they they had some things sorted out with some of the family matters they have going on. But um, you can tell that's one of the biggest things we go from organization to organization. You can tell, and it really matters. So Stephen Ross just needs to stay out of the out of the kitchen. Yeah. Let those guys handle their business. And then Zach Taylor going to a place where look, they need an innovative offense. They need to get the most they can out of the talented players that they have. Hopefully he can bring some of that um, from L.A. to the Cincinnati Bengals. And then the one thing I think they've got to their advantage is, you know, they can, again, preaching patience because they were patient with Marvin Lewis. uh, And and this is an organization that I don't think, you know, wants to move on to another guy anytime soon and pay out additional years of of contracts and money. So uh, he's got that working for him. But that's a really big uphill battle, in my opinion, because I think that division – is really good out around the Cincinnati Bengals right now.
0: Yeah, it's a tough spot. Like you, you always had those two games against the Browns, and now those two games against the Browns are are a bit of a nightmare. But at least you don't have Baker Mayfield gunning for Hugh Jackson. Um, and at least the, the Browns, the Bengals didn't hire Hugh Jackson. I give an A plus, 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 plus for hiring anybody other than him. Uh, I give you an A plus, 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 plus for your work at the Super Bowl, Brady. Not to you broke a record, broke a Guinness. You now hold a Guinness Book of World Record. I
1: didn't break the record. It's Jarvis Landry's record. I was just. Dead. Along for the ride, helping him, uh, helping him achieve it. That's so. how
0: you become the greatest football player in Notre Dame history is with that humility. You don't, don't. You don't no. ever... <laughs> I'm just telling you right now. It's
1: not. I do not. I don't get a plaque. My name's not on anything. It's purely about the one-handed catches.
0: So, well, in, in fine, in better news, at least you didn't. At least you and your wife didn't lose in horseshoes to. Two NFL blockers. That didn't happen. So you're fine. That, that never happened. That, that <laughs> at least <you're laughs> in your, in you and your, <laughs> consi- you and your. You even
1: consider yourself a writer. You consider yourself a blogger. No, is that, no. Is that how, is that where we're stooping to right now? No, I'm a it. Hey, I... I carried, I carried my own weight. Okay. I think you witnessed that. Yeah. There was uh, another member of my team that, unfortunately, <laughs> I, I, we were losing a fair amount to. I, I won't name names, but my wife did almost kill me. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was a fun time, um, and thank you for letting us um, hang hang with your family. It was it was uh, it was good times, and what a it's been a fun season. It's been an awesome podcast season, and yeah. we're, we're not done. Yeah. We'll, we'll go through the off season. No, we're gonna keep it rolling. Oh yeah, yeah. we'll keep it rolling, and uh, we'll be back uh, tomorrow. So make sure to subscribe, rate, review. Thanks, Brady. Anytime.